Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Hear these words. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in grammar school, uh, frequently we were visited by Aunt Irene. Um, she was my mother's aunt and an interesting person. Her husband had died at a fairly early age and Irene became a, a itinerant nurse. She would work at summer camps and different um, prep schools and she would often come our way. I, I found her to be interesting. She was a good storyteller. She was a unique blend of humor and stubbornness. There was not a lot of verbal veneer to Irene. If she felt it, she thought it. If she thought it, she said it. So here we were at breakfast, and, and my mother um, pronounces, tonight, you know, Irene, we're going to be having your, your birthday party, and Irene says, no, we're not. And I said, well, no, we've got some plans. I'm going to make your favorite cake, German chocolate cake, and Irene says, uh, no, we're not going to have a birthday tonight. She says, why? Well, you know, um, Cousin Lim and um, Emma, they, they were going to come and be here with us, and they're not coming, and I'm really disappointed. It's not going to be a happy birthday, so why have a birthday? There was some silence around the table. At the end of the breakfast, uh, mother hadn't given up the birthday idea. She said, Irene, we're still going to have a birthday tonight, even if it's not the best of days. Every birthday gives us reason to celebrate. And Irene said, like what? And my mother said, well, that you're here, that you were born, and we're here together on this day. So you could almost hear bah humbug coming out of Irene. Well, that night rolled around, and we had supper, and we were still going to have a birthday party. And you could tell that Irene had not been converted to the idea but it happened. Um, I saw Irene open this big box of Whitman's chocolate, and when Mother came in with the German chocolate cake and candles ablaze, I swear I saw a slight grin coming from the lips of Irene. Now, this is what I've heard over the last few days. I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've heard some of you say it. I don't know, are we really going to be able to have a real Easter? I mean, it's going to be a challenge. I understand part of that. Part of it is, yes, um, it's a challenge for all of us in here this morning, looking out here and seeing an empty congregation and wish we could have the Easter we had last Easter when two morning services uh, filled to the rafters and we hear the swelling of the organ and one voice singing, Christ the Lord is risen today. And we watch the spontaneity of children coming and um, bedecking this cross with flowers. But I think the other challenge people are feeling is, well, with the dark clouds of um, a pandemic sweeping over us, you know, what is there to celebrate? Look, here's the truth. The truth is that on any given Easter, the, the preacher is going to be preaching to a world that's in danger of thinking that death and defeat and despair have the final word. My mother was right. Uh, any birthday leaves us with reason to celebrate, and I would say the same about Easter. Really? What is there to celebrate about a preacher saying he is risen when so many have lost their lives and so many have lost their jobs? Maybe nothing. If Easter is reserved only for the lighthearted and the lucky. But here would be my contention this morning as a preacher. The, the truth of Easter, it, it holds water on any season and any day. And I want us to remember this morning, look, the landscape of that first Easter, it was the landscape of defeat and despair and death. You remember how we started here in Lent? We, we were up there in the hills of Galilee, and my goodness, the movement called the Jesus Movement. Everybody was showing up. They wanted to get a piece of Jesus to hear what he had to say. Uh, the Gallup poll numbers were out the top of the roof. And, but then Jesus came to that junction in the road, and Scripture says he set his face toward Jerusalem, and he walked to the place where he was going to have to pour out his life without looking back. Started pretty well, didn't it? I mean, last week we, we celebrated that impromptu ticker tape parade and all the accolades and the acclaim, but the acclaim a few days later had become accusations and mockery, and beatings, and crucifixion. Jesus is dead. Did you hear this affirmation? Crucified, dead, buried. Go on, somebody asked the soldiers, was he dead? Well, you know, we're ordered to stay around to make sure that he took his last breath and to make sure we thrust the spear into the side. Ask the disciples. Well... We really weren't there. The women were there. We, we weren't there. But they said they were there. They saw him take his last breath and say, it's finished. And it had the dull ache of a lost campaign. The people went to the polls. Who's for Barabbas? Oh, don't even bother taking, uh, counting the hands. It's Barabbas by landslide. And so what do you do? You go back to campaign headquarters. You, you fold everything up and you get out of town. Mary, 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 Mary. Do you think when we get back to Nazareth, um, I might have Jesus' um, carpenter apron? Oh, look, talk to me about I, I can't think about those things now. Do, do you feel what they were feeling? Dull, ache, 
grief? And haven't we been talking about our feelings here the last few weeks? I, I was kind of playing back over that. We've talked about worry, worry. We've talked about fear. We've talked about grief. I just want to add one to it. And isn't the feeling of being overwhelmed, do you feel that? You turn on the evening news and the facts come so hard and heavy. It's just sometimes more than you feel like you can take in. And sometimes you want just a little relief, maybe a bit of numbness. It's just feeling overwhelmed, like Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, the young prince. He's dealing with the fact that his mother and his uncle have colluded to kill his father. And, and this is what Hamlet is having to do. He's, he's musing. He's thinking, is it better to take up a sword um, against this ocean of trouble, the sea of trouble? Or is, is it better just to pull the covers over your head, to try to sleep a little bit, or to dream, or just get away from it? You see, Hamlet's facing a sea of troubles, and that sea has become a veritable flood, and he's overwhelmed. Have some of you felt that way? I have. I don't think we were prepared for this. I don't think we were ready for it. It, it seems so much larger than us, and it comes like a tsunami wave, and sometimes we just like to pull the cover over our heads. What can anybody do? Don't you think the disciples felt that? Things were going so well up there in Galilee. And then they get into Jerusalem. And I mean, within a few short hours, the opposition is coming like a mighty wave that washes over them and takes their beloved Jesus. That's overwhelmed, right? I don't know. I'm sure Mary Magdalene felt that and probably more, all kind of feelings mixed in. And so it was in the quiet darkness that she went to the burial place. Look, there's no evidence that, that Mary Magdalene went with any hope in her heart. Yeah, no, no. And when she got there, there really wasn't much to see. It's just that the, the tomb was empty. Now, you th that didn't raise her kind of resurrection hopes, no. Um, she felt distraught. In fact, we see that soon that she was running back. She thought maybe somebody has taken the body, right? There's a lot of running, by the way, in John's telling of the story. And she runs back to the disciples, and then Peter and John hear about it, and they go running. What, what do they say in the foreign legion? When in doubt, gallop. And there's a lot of galloping. There's a lot of running. Here's Peter and John, legs pumping and heart pumping. John gets there first. Now I find this interesting. I, I have not come up with this on my own, but in one of Tom Long's commentaries on this, he says, the author here, this is a very important fact, who got there first. He said, it's not about foot speed, but this was the first of the disciples to believe. And the author wants us to know, not just that John was the first, but the way he believed. It became the primary way of our believing. He believed when he saw nothing. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't touch Jesus. There were no proofs. There were no photographs. But he believed. It was enough. Long went on to say that 
the abiding, loving presence of Jesus to John was such a certainty that when he saw that Jesus wasn't there, he didn't feel the fear of abandonment. But he saw the absence as a sign of a higher, a new kind of loving presence. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Isn't that how most of us have come to believe? Just check the record. Only a relative, very small hand of disciples of Jesus ever saw him after the resurrection. If you're looking and wanting some proof this morning of the resurrection, the greatest proof is his presence among those who love him. As long as we keep experiencing that presence and other people keep experiencing in us, he is risen indeed. Because, well, we know we're never alone. We're never sure where he's going to show up next. Remember where we started? I asked the question, is there really something that we can celebrate this Easter with all the heaviness in the air? Of course. Of course. Easter has always been a yes, but kind of message. Easter doesn't tiptoe around the hard facts of life. Yes, sometimes the best among us die young. And yes, sometimes um, goodness gets mocked and truth gets put up on a scaffold. But God keeps coming back with the word of love and life and hope eternal. When I was serving the church south of here in Fletcher, it was in the early 80s, we had this one spring, we had a lot of um, kind of tough weather, like the kind of weather's going to come through here probably this afternoon or tonight. And we had two of these beautiful, very, very old pine trees. They were iconic signature pieces of our landscape, and they were hit by lightning and they were killed, and we had to take them down. So now we're having a board meeting, and people are um, just kind of bemoaning the loss of those two magnificent trees. And one man was very upset. And he got to the floor and he said, we just can't let this keep happening. We've, we, we've, we've got to do something. And so the leader, the chair of the board, in a tongue-in-cheek response said, well, the chair will be glad to entertain a motion to stop the lightning. <laughs> in all seriousness, that's what they did in old Jerusalem. Some of the apostles of treachery and hatred and greed, well, they got together and they said, there's too much light and life in him, let us snuff it out. And then let's take his body and let's put it in a hole in the ground and let's put a rock over it. Double the guard, give us enough power we can stop anything. Just see that this crazy carpenter and his ideas never get loose. You know the thing I love about the gospel is the gospel's core events they they don't just happen once they keep happening Um, resurrection like the cross are recurring experiences in life now resurrection doesn't always come after crucifixion in a three-day transition but it keeps happening think of it this way That empty grave of Palestine is like the open mouth of God saying, don't you know you can't stop God's eternal purposes? You can disturb them, you can doubt them, you can delay them, you can detour them, but after you've done your worst to them, they'll be standing there as deathless as life itself. Friends, the good news this morning. It's not just about the promise of eternal life. It's the promise that the universal cosmic love of God 
will never be defeated. So here we are. How do we respond? We respond with joy. And I, I love the way the story ends, the resurrection story in John. You, you see the disciples and the followers, they start running into the world with the message. You know, we've been following the um, writings of Brian McLaren during this Lent. And I, I want you to listen to these words at the end of his Easter chapter. He said, um, let's tell the others. He said, let's tell the others. The Lord is risen. Let's tell the world of an uprising of hope and not hate. Let's tell the world of an uprising of outstretched hands and not clenched fists. We're to go running into the world as a people who are indestructibly alive, whose love has no limits, whose hope has no end. Well, I'm close to the end of this Easter sermon. There has been a homiletical image that I've shared probably five or six times in my 20-something years here. And, and Patrick kind of inspired me about our need for some familiarity because spiritual familiarity, the things we remember, takes us back to creating kind of an island of certainty and a sea of uncertainty. So you're going to hear it again. Friday, uh, you know, Sunday's coming. Yeah. You've heard it here from this pulpit. Really, a Tony Campolo story. Tony Campolo, um, white, Italian descent, uh, professor at University of Pennsylvania, then Eastern College. Um, but in most of his years in Philadelphia, he worshiped at a black church. And he said he loved to come to know the wonderful interplay back and forth between the congregation and the preacher. You've heard me say this. In um, African-American churches, the preacher gets a lot more, well, obvious feedback. Now, I get feedback. My encouragement is I look out and eyes are still open, <laughs> you know. And then I think, well, if the eyes are closed, maybe they're praying. Come on, help, help Rob a little bit, Lord. But he said, this is what happens in, the, uh, in this church. If, if the preacher's having a hard time getting it cranked up, there, there's going to be some deacon say, now come on now, Jesus, help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus, get him going. And then, then once he gets going, uh, they're, they're going to pick it up and say, well, 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 come on now, just take it on home. Well, that was the tradition there. And on this particular Sunday, Campolo said, the preacher started with, a rather erudite, scholarly exegesis in the first 15 or 20 minutes. But then he dropped all that, and he just got to this phrase. He kept saying it again and again. It's Friday, and Sunday's coming. He started low, and he started slow. My Jesus was dead. He was crucified. He was dead, and he was buried. That's, that was Friday, and Sunday's coming. And now the deacon picks up on that and out there, and he starts getting a little bit of feedback. He says, come on now, preacher, that's it. You preach it. And so that just kind of gets him going a little more, and he takes it up a notch, and he says, it's Friday, and uh, Mary, she's crying her eyes out. And the disciples, they're just running around like sheep without a shepherd. Somebody needs to tell them it's Friday, and Sunday's coming. And now... Some of the women are going, well, well, well. Come on now, you got it going. And now he really gets it going. It's Friday. And all the cynics of 
the world are looking at the world and they say, you know, it's all just a cycle in a circle. It all comes back around. Nobody's ever changed anything. Nobody ever will change anything. Well, well when are they going to learn? It's Friday and Sunday's coming. Oh, now he's going. It's Friday and Pilate thinks he's washed his hands of a lot of trouble. And Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees are all getting together and they're laughing and they're poking each other in the ribs and they say, look who's in charge now. Somebody better tell them it's Friday and Sunday's coming. And if the preacher was preaching that sermon today, he said, it sure looks like Friday, doesn't it? I heard the news this morning. So much death just sweeping over the world and how are we going to find our way back to life as we know it? Well, God isn't finished, the preacher will say. What happened at Easter long ago is still happening. It's Friday and Sunday's still coming. And when this preacher got to the end of the sermon, he, he just had very little text now. He would just say, it's Friday and he would, the congregation would say, Sunday's coming. Well, I don't have you to help me today, but you know, I'm picturing you out there. I can see you sitting in the den, sitting in your living room, maybe some on your back porch looking at a screen. You can do it. I, I can see you. Okay. I believe I can, maybe with a lot of spiritual imagination, hear you. There are about six people out here. I'm going to count on them. And... um Let's just keep it real simple. It's Friday and it's Friday. It's Friday. Now and forever. Amen.